Hello. Hey, John. Hey, Dan Benjamin. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm okay. I'm been fly, flying all over the place. Are you in your new studio that I saw a picture of on Instagram? No, I'm... Uh, <clears throat> that studio is still under construction, so I'm, I'm now in my old studio, which is to say my bed. <laughs> so there's your old studio. Yeah. There's your personal private office. Mm-hmm. And then there's the new studio. And then there's the bath. Right. And also, I'm trying to build a mobile studio that will fit inside of a Filson briefcase. Oh. Well, I have a, I have a mic suggestion. I know this is what, what people tune in for. Uh, go ahead. Well, I can put it into the show notes, uh, but I will tell you, it. I have not tried this out personally yet. But I know a handful of people that have been using it that really like it. And uh, those are people whose opinions I care about. And yeah. it is uh, the company Blue makes a microphone. It's the Raspberry Blue Raspberry Premium Mobile USB Microphone. Blue Raspberry Premium Mobile yes. Raspberry Microphone. Yes. Blue Raspberry. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put it. I'll send you. A, I'll send you a link. I'll send you in the. Uh, oh, okay. Right there. This it's, is a popular microphone. You're saying yes, and uh, I think um, it is well liked by people. It's designed to be portable and easy to take around with you. It has its own little built-in stand, or you can put it on one of those little gorilla stands, or any any standard threaded thing. It works with USB. And, will uh, you will you put a link in the in the show notes to a gorilla stand because I've never heard of that. or gorilla what is the thing called a gorilla gorilla pod gorilla pod still have not heard of it yeah a gorilla pod is a tripod and mm-hmm. it is going in the show notes right now I'll send you a link to it also and what you can do with these gorilla pods is they're like, they have three legs that are completely, they're almost like octopus legs, but they stay where you put them. So you can, you put this under your, your camera or under your microphone or whatever, and you can angle that this thing and make it do really whatever you, whatever you want it to do. Now I'm sending Could you put your that. podcast microphone on a pole? Like yeah. on a, on a, like a, sure. Like a pole, like a two hour parking only pole and then do your podcast from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then I'm sold. I'm trying to think of a way. I'm trying to build a system in which I can like sit in an airport mm-hmm. and do a podcast where no one around me is aware I'm doing a podcast. Just that you'd be talking to yourself like a crazy, crazy person. Or, no, no. Like I'm having a phone call with somebody. You know, I've got my headphones on and I'm just sitting in like, hey, anyway, man, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Bruh? Right. They think Except, you're just doing a phone call, but you're podcasting. Yeah, I'm podcasting. Right. That's my that's my fantasy. I mean, it's a weird fantasy or it's not a very exciting fantasy, right? right a lot sure. of people are like, my fantasy is to have sex with my coworker. But my fantasy is just to be able to like podcast from a no parking sign or from an airport lounge. Yeah. I think <sighs> this is doable. I mean, I think to me it seems like this is an achievable thing. So this Gorilla Pod would look like 
Would I look like a normal person if I had a microphone attached to this? Uh, yeah, I'd say yes. Yeah. I mean, you Oops. might you might find that the 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 built-in stand on the blue raspberry premium mobile USB microphone for PC, Mac, iPhone and iPad including lightning cable is enough. Are we the, going to are we is this an ad? Are we going to like retroactively hit them up for some ad? I'm not, I won't I won't say that we won't be doing that, but no, it's not currently an ad. <laughs> Um, okay, well, let's see. I mean, um, you, I wanna, you using this thing in an airport to me is an ad for them. I want to, uh, you know, I want to try, I want to try it out. I want to, uh, I want to take some stuff like out into the world, make it a reality. Yeah. Get out, get out in the world and put a little bit of yourself out there. Um, give a little bit, give a little bit of my time <laughs> to you, the yeah. audience, yeah, uh, of podcasts. That's right. I just I feel like you know I've I, I've em, I've embraced the podcast medium, and uh, I feel like it is it's long been a creative outlet for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even though a lot of us feel like you know like I talk to people that I think should do podcasts, and I have a handful of people I think should do podcasts. Uh, the Long Winters and Harvey Danger uh, superstar Sean Nelson should absolutely be doing a podcast. But when I talk to him about it, he says, ah, it's too late to do a podcast. The podcasts have, the door is closed. And I say, that's ridiculous. We're still in the wild west of podcasting. Half 90% of the people that I mentioned podcasting to who are just normals out in the world are, are, they used to not even know what I was talking about. And now they're like, oh yeah, podcasts. I've been wanting to figure those out. Like how, what are they exactly? You know, like people don't even know what they are really. People that might be podcast listeners are Mm -hmm. still out there thick on the ground. So I say to friends, like get a podcast. What the fuck? It doesn't, that doesn't cost anything. It doesn't take anything out of your life. It's only added to mine. Uh, and now, but I also like to travel. I also like to, you know, fuck off and get on the road and do things and, you know, play music and also just go places. Sure. And if I'm going to have podcasts be, I mean, this has been a thing over the last several years, but if I want to travel and you and I have to skip a show or we do a makeup show, like today we're doing a couple of shows because you have to travel next right. week. Right. We can't miss but a show. That's easy to do. I've been doing that with Merlin for for years. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I'm going to be out of town. Let's do, you know, let's do another show on Friday or whatever. Uh, but if I'm really podcasting the shit out of things, if I've got like 24 podcasts that I'm doing, which isn't, which apparently isn't weird. How many podcasts? What's the most number of different podcast brands that you've been doing at one time, Dan? That's a good question. There was a sh- there was a period of time there, very difficult period of time, where I was doing several a day, five days a week. Several a day. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I, I would start recording at you know ten. I'd get a break for lunch and I'd do one, if not two more, in the afternoon. And I was editing them all and yeah, selling the ads bananas. for all of them. Yeah, it's freaking nuts. Um, that's crazy. Too. Now I don't, I would never try to do that, but 
for a while there, that, that was what I was doing and it was exhausting, but I got through it and decided mm-hmm. I should never have done it and would never do it again. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But now I, I like to try to do one or at most two uh, a day and certainly not every day doing that. So you have more than five podcasts going on right now. Yeah. Yes. I say yes. Informally, I have several that are regular podcasts that happen no matter what. Uh, so that would be our show. That would be quit. Uh, back to work. Uh, Unwound, which is the one I do on watches. And uh, Killing Time is a new one. And then I have a couple that are kind of like as, as I can fit them in, like the podcast method. I do that when I have something interesting to talk about or something that's, that's kind of worth doing, worth talking about. And then I still do, occasionally we'll do like an interview show, but that's not regular. So I would say... Five with absolute regularity, six if you include the the one I can do when I can do it. So now, honestly, Dan, I'm, as much as I like podcasting, which I have to reiterate, is a tremendous lot, I'm not really that deep into the podcasting culture. I mean, I go to like the podcasting festivals sometimes. But mostly I just wander around in a Hawaiian shirt uh-huh. looking available. Right. Sure. Uh, sometimes I look unavailable. Uh-huh. That, those are my two modes. Do I look available or do I look unavailable? What's the difference? Like, could I tell, could I tell what the difference was? I think so. If, you're, if you meet me in the wild or if you see me in the wild, because I get this a lot, right? Somebody will tweet or some, something like, oh, I saw John Roderick somewhere, right. but I didn't want to go up to him. But, you know, a lot of the time, most of the time, I am available. I'm available. If you walk up to me and say, psst, hashtag super train, or whatever it is right. that people try and do, sure. you know, I'm totally available. The only times that I'm not available, it will be evident, evident, Um. Because those times I am, I am uh, walking with a purpose and staring straight ahead, or I'm visibly mad. Right. But even then, even if I'm visibly mad, you can come up and talk to me. And a lot of the thing is, a lot of people are shy about approaching people when they're with their kids. Right. This is sure. kind of an unwritten rule of like, don't bother somebody when they're with their kids. Right. But my freaking daughter loves when people come up to me loves it like i would normally agree with the conventional wisdom and say oh yeah don't you know if i'm with my kid you know leave me alone but by all means do not leave me alone because my kid really really digs it she digs it when people come up she likes meeting new people she likes talking to people like she, it's not a thing where you have to sidle up to me and be like, you know, hashtag super train and right. then run away. Right. Because for whatever reason, and I have no idea, my, you know, my daughter has a very strong personality and has since she was a little girl, mm-hmm. but she's always seen her dad on stage and she always from the very beginning has also felt like she belongs on stage. Of course. But that makes sense. She's from a show business family. Right. So. 
you know, I'm in parades sometimes because I'm not just in show business. I'm also somehow in the civic life of the city that I'm in. And I, and I have not just opportunities, but sometimes responsibilities to actually appear in large parades. Sure. And she thinks that she also is a, like a, uh, a, a necessary, a requisite part of the local parade scene in the, in the summer. Like there are parades and she's like, what are we going to wear to the parades? Right. But also if she goes to a show, she'll find a way. If she goes to a show, somebody else's concert, she'll find a way on the stage. somehow. <laughs> she'll get up there. All right. And <laughs> her mother sent me a photograph a couple of days ago. She went to a kid's birthday party and it, the photograph is of the little girl opening her present presence and Mar, uh, my daughter standing right over her shoulder. And the caption of the photograph was, what a surprise. Mar, uh, God, I'm just, I was going to say her name. What a surprise. Marlo found a way to be right next to the birthday girl so that basically she's on stage. Right. right? She, I mean, she has, she has weaseled her way up there. Yeah, everybody's looking at the birthday girl, and my daughter is right there. <laughs> All right. Because whatever that energy is that everyone in the room is directing with their eyes, uh-huh. she just wants even the reflected glow of it. So she's used to people coming up to me, and she it's just part of uh, what she expects, and also she really likes it. So – I know that there are listeners to this program who listen to other programs where the where the protocol is like, leave me alone when I'm with my family. But I do not feel that way at all. The only times I'm not available are, yeah, right. Like I'm, even if I'm visibly fighting with someone, even if I am squared off with someone and we both have swords drawn, or if I'm in a store demanding satisfaction, you can always come up. And say hello because I'll probably enlist you as as a like a co-conspirator. I'll say, yeah, this person right here, they agree with me. You know, this person right here thinks that teenagers should be building trail. Even if you don't agree with me, just stand there and pretend that you do. So anyway, I'm I'm generally available, but I do not know when I'm at a podcast festival. I'm talking to people, but I do not know which ones are other podcasters, which ones are fans, which ones are producers. Mm. Uh, I just just sort of take everybody as they come. I have learned to identify the McElroy brothers because they're very they're very hard to miss. I know you. I know you know. I know a, a a dozen or so people on site that I'm like, ah, that person is also a broadcaster. But so I don't know. Is the fact that you do a show a day? I know it's not typical, right? Mark Marin isn't sitting and doing a show a day. He doesn't have five podcasts. No, but he doesn't need to. Right. But there are lots of people that have five podcasts. Is that true? Or is that, or is, are you the rare one? Uh, there seem to be two categories of podcasters. There seem to be a, the category one, which is made up of two different types of people. Category one is I have one podcast and that is two people in that kind of category. One is Mark Marin, who has one podcast, but everybody in the whole world knows about it and he makes a lot of money from it and it's a big thing. And then the second type is 
almost everybody else who is, mm-hmm. they have one podcast and they have a small number of listeners, but they have the one podcast. Mm-hmm. And then there's a second type of people who wait I, a minute. There's wait a minute. There's now you're talking about that is a category one, uh, which includes two two subcategories. Then there's category two, which is people who have more than one podcast, mm-hmm. and that also contains two subcategories. And that is none of their podcasts are very popular or well known. Uh, and then the second category would be some of their podcasts are are okay and well known. And I fall into that category, which is. Uh-huh. I have a lot of podcasts and a, a few of them are very popular and the, the other ones are not. Right. But if I, if, if I had uh, one podcast that was getting a million downloads, I wouldn't have a second podcast. Is that right? Yeah. Huh. Inter, interdastic. I would put 100% of my time, effort, and, and energy into making that one podcast even, even better because I would see that it was going strong. And this is right. uh, this is the same thing that Apple has kind of done with the iPhone and that, holy crap, the iPhone seems to be a big thing. Let's keep focusing on that. And so today, instead of thinking of Apple as a computer company, which I still think of it as, uh, most people associate the Apple, Apple company with uh, iPhones. And that, that makes sense because that's their big thing. The iPhone revenue is so big that nothing else that Apple does comes even remotely close to what they're doing with just the iPhone. So the fact that wow. they make computers and iPads and other things uh, are just really these days in support of their iPhone business. You could take away Apple's computer business and uh, completely, and they wouldn't even notice it. It's, it's a, it's a, a line item on their, <laughs> wow. Yeah, they're they're not I mean they make money. They make money from making computers, but that's not their main thing. It's all so that's how I would treat it. Like if I had one podcast that was doing a million downloads a week, like a Mark Marin show, I I wouldn't do a second one. Um I remember when Apple wasn't even talking about doing a phone and we were all traveling with our Apple books, whatever they were called, mm-hmm. Apple, Apple notebooks, Apple, Apple books. Yeah. Um, and trying to get them to sync with our LG phones and our Blackberries, and so frustrated and always talking, uh, amongst ourselves, like, why doesn't Apple just do a phone? Like they, right. Like their suite of things is so interesting. Like a phone would be a really nice way to tie it all together and then they came out with one i remember uh ben gibbard it was an early adopter of the iphone and he was so frustrated with his version one that he threw it out the window of a hotel which i thought was a very rock and roll move and maybe one of the top rock and roll moves one of the top death cat for cutie rock and roll moves i'd Mm, ever heard of mm -hmm. because they're not usually like throw tvs into the swimming pool but he threw his phone out of the top floor of some hotel because he was like this is bullshit but then i think he immediately bought a new one two days later Mm. which is also a rock and roll move uh and now you're telling me that it's a phone company yep that just sells computers on the side that's hilarious yeah well so but the thing is like i am i am talking about now becoming a multi-podcaster even more than i am currently well how you've got uh roderick on the line that's right the original podcast the original john roderick podcast right 
Then you have Roadwork, which is, the, I think, a show we're doing now. That's that's right. This is Roadwork. You're listening to it now. Okay. Road Roadwork podcast, which and was now, my second podcast. Your third one coming, Omnibus. Omnibu- um, omnibus. 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 Mm-hmm. Which, uh, With you omnibus and Ken. Is, Ken Jennings. Yeah, that's that's de- debutting, debuting, as we say, uh-huh. in one month. One okay. month. It is coming out, and uh, and so I'm you know I'm building up a podcast studio because Ken likes to be in the same room. Oh, if I lived in Seattle, I would never do this over Skype. Yeah, I would always do it right there, face to face in in your basement. Well, it's interesting because it never would have occurred to me to do it in person because you know you and I and you and I have a rhythm of talking. Merlin and I have a different rhythm of talking. Uh-huh. But there is a rhythm. It's a you know, and it's a Skype rhythm. We've established it. Uh, and so when I was talking to Ken about doing a podcast, I was like, "Great, well, I'll build you a little studio in your office." And and he was like, "Well, we live in the same town." And I said, "Yeah, it'll be real easy for me to come over and build you a studio in your office." <laughs> and he said, "But I want to, you know, I've never done a podcast. I want to sit in the same room." And I was like, oh, "Really? Okay. Well." Let's see. I don't want to. (laughs) He said, I really want to. I really want to be looking at each other. And I was like, all right, okay. Uh, And and then he said, I'm willing to come to your house. Mm. Like, okay. Well, that changes things, I guess, a little. So I took over this uh, room in my house that was formerly where I shot BB guns and uh, repurposed it or a corner of it, rather. There's a drum kit in one corner of it. Mm-hmm. Built this thing. So uh, so Ken comes over, and we look at each other, and it's really interesting looking at your fellow podcaster. Because you do things, you know? You do, you're like, one of you is talking, and the other one's like, okay, I'm about to do a, th- you know, I'm like, gonna change the topic now. Mm-hmm. Like, you point at each other, and kind of like, yep. but, you're, but you're also making each other laugh. You can see mirth in the other person's face. So that's very interesting. I would also like to do road work in person if you lived in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, doing uh, Roderick on the Line with Merlin is live is extremely fun, but it's also very difficult because Merlin also doesn't want to be in the same room with you. Yes, I, I recorded with him a couple of times in San Francisco when there would be like a WWDC and I would be going for that and had like a little bit of space where – you know, we could, we could record or something and, uh, or borrowing a studio or something like that. And he, uh, he didn't seem to, and I loved it. I thought it was great, but he, for him, I think it, it, it was too different because we'd already been recording for at, by that time, three or four years, uh, you know, once a week, three or four years. And it was like a, like he, he had said something to me like, yeah, like it's great seeing you and hanging out, but like, you're supposed to be in my headphones somewhere else to do the show like it felt jarring to him i think to have me my physical presence there because i have i have an incredibly powerful physical presence i don't know if you are aware of that i know i know you're a you're a lot of guy in a small package that's right people not everyone can handle it you're a a real little (laughs) uh no i don't mean to use the word little like over and over yeah 
but uh, but you know, you're like a one of those tornadoes that touches down, right, and uh, destroys a couple of uh, trailer parks, <laughs> and then it's off again, kind of bouncing across the land. Yeah, that's how I think not, of myself too. Not, not like a Jewish leprechaun. <laughs> no, no, exactly, not exactly like that. No, but, you know, like a tight little. What would you what would you say like a like a little Wolverine? Yeah, or something? I could go with that. Like a leaping Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. Just tearing the necks out of other creatures. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I say yes. We would like to say thank you very much to LinkedIn Learning. You know Linda, right? Linda.com. LinkedIn Learning acquired Linda.com. And now all of the amazing Linda content that you love, the best way to learn stuff, in my opinion, is part of LinkedIn Learning. Uh, It's so great, Linda stuff, because... I think it's the best way to learn. You go there, you watch videos that are made by experts, people who really, truly know their stuff. You want to go and learn how to do editing in Final Cut Pro. You want to learn Photoshop. You want Office tips, Microsoft Office tips or productivity stuff, or you want courses like overcoming procrastination or time management. Uh, You want to learn how to do QuickBooks for your business or run Excel, like all of this stuff. They have these great videos on this taught by industry experts who really, truly know what they're doing. It's very easy to find the right video course for you. And you can watch the whole course. You can start beginner, intermediate, advanced. You watch the whole course or you can jump right in and just learn how to do one specific thing. That one thing where like, oh, how do I do this? I know I saw somebody do it once. There's going to be a video on it. And it's super easy to find it. And you jump in and watch just that segment and get out and go back, back to work and do the thing that you want to do. That's how they are designed. They also have like project files so that you can use the same project that is being shown in the video. They have quizzes that help you make sure you're actually retaining the stuff that you're learning. You learn at your own pace. You can watch it on your uh, computer, your tablet, your phone. And with this special URL, you get a 30-day free trial of LinkedIn Learning. You go to linkedin.com slash road. That's it. LinkedIn.com slash road, all lowercase. And you'll get a 30-day free trial. Go check it out. You get access to every single video that Linda has ever made. All the LinkedIn learning content, one cost, one price. It couldn't be easier. Watch as much as you want. Go check them out. LinkedIn.com slash road. So the thing, the thing about it is like, okay, so now I'm doing three, that that's three podcasts, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's not one, a, one a day, but like for a long time, whoo, a long time, mm-hmm. I have not done a thing a day. Like that seems like a lot do a single thing every day. What the heck? You right. Know, I mean, I, when was the last time that you did that you committed to doing uh, something every single day that couldn't that there was no flexibility in that when you're on tour and you are driving around and you're meeting your obligations mm-hmm. by playing a show in a different town every day that is all encompassing right you're doing the same thing all day every day although it's always different but i haven't been on a proper two-month tour in 10 years not even close oh well no wait wait wait, wait, wait. that's not true I haven't done a long winter's tour that, well, no, that's not true either. Okay, scratch all that. I've done tours as recently as last year. Um, I just forget about them. But it's not a major, major, major part of my 
life anymore like it used to be. Sure. I guess, you know, in 2007, I did 10 different tours that were between two weeks and a month because we were just working constantly. In the last few years, you know, I'll do, I'll do 10 days, two weeks, once a year, twice, twice a year. <clears throat> but this is like wake up in the morning, make a pot of coffee, eat a green banana, um, green, green around. banana. Yeah. Uh, like not a, not a solid green banana. Like, on, like, a, like a not ripe banana, pre-ripe banana. Well, not like a, see, the thing is it's not a brown banana. It's like, but it should closer, be yellow is what it should be. Closer to green yellow than brown yellow. Okay. Like because when, it, like you have to be able to flip the top down. Otherwise, if you have to use a knife to cut the top, then it's not ripe. The problem is it's true. I sometimes eat unripe bananas and then it causes some sort of distress because your body isn't ready to process a completely unripe banana. And that happens sometimes because I buy bananas green because I don't eat bananas often enough that I can just leave a bunch like seven because I don't want to buy three bananas. I want to buy seven bananas. Mm -hmm. But if I put seven bananas on the counter, by the time I get down to the last two bananas, they're like mushy. So I buy them green, mm -hmm. but then recently I've been putting them in the refrigerator to preserve them longer, but I keep a cold refrigerator. So these are not only green bananas, they're sort of like green half-frozen bananas. It's actually not a, not a good system. I'm going to have to modify the system. It's, I'm, I'm experimenting with the banana system. Mm. But so now, and now I have a fourth podcast that's in the pipeline, fourth podcast in the pipeline. You haven't even in, really started the third one. Now you have a fourth one. The third one and the fourth one were both conceived at the same time. Okay. About a year ago, about a year ago, give or take. So you're moving two, fast, getting these things two, out. Yeah. Two podcasts sort of burbled up out of the slime. The, the you know, the like overwhelming slime that is most people and all things. Here came these two burbling podcasts, mm -hmm. bubbling, bubbling crude. Yeah. And, uh, and they weren't anything like each other. And they were both at the time nascent podcasts. Mm -hmm. There was not, it was not like two podcasts. It was like two burbling ideas about podcasts. And over the course of an entire year, both of these burbling nascent ideas took a long time to turn into anything right it was like a golem two golems that i found in the <laughs> attics of two separate synagogues in prague and i had business in both synagogues so i'm going across town and in both of them i find a golem in the attic and I, and it takes a long time to animate these golem right i'm in there i'm doing you know whatever it is i'm doing however it is you animate a golem you put the, the true name of God under its tongue. Exactly, right? But it's very hard to write the true name of God. Well, it'd be, hard, it'd be hard for you to write. I could write it. Well, but it's against the rules. You don't go, oh, oh no, you can write it, but you can't say it. You, I can we, never remember. You shouldn't really write it. That's what right. the whole Gollum story is supposed to be about, is you shouldn't really do that. But a guy like you, I don't think, has access to the information that I, that I have here. 
Right, right, right. Well, and then that makes sense, and that's why it took a year, over a year, for me to do it because I'm right. just scrib, I'm scribbling under this golem's tongue, and I'm like, is this the true name of God? Right. No, it you just try out, again. <laughs> I, I just, I just wrote out the Pepsi challenge under there, and it did not <laughs> animate the golem. So, like, what do I do? How about this? What about this? Like a peace sign? No, that's not it either. It's the Mercedes sign because I don't know the difference. Oh no, it's that didn't work. Uh, but over time, both of these Gollum begin to uh, shake, rattle, and roll. And then I was in a very complicated situation because I had two uh, nascencies that were becoming uh, realities. Coming, they were they were coming into being. Mm-hmm. But you can't launch two podcasts at the same time, particularly if you only have two podcasts now. Like if I was. If I was television's Dan Benjamin and I was sitting there on top of a, uh, on top of old Smokey where old Smokey was a big pile of podcasts. Sure. If I was on top of spaghetti, all covered with cheese. Mm-hmm. Like Dan Benjamin. Yes. Just like me. Like a cheese covered Wolverine on top of a Smokey of old <laughs> spaghetti, which is an empire of podcasts. Yes. You could start two new podcasts more or less at the same time. People wouldn't bat an eye. Mm-hmm. See, seems like Merlin starts a podcast every week and a half. Yeah, he's got quite a few these days. I think he just wants, he doesn't want to put all his eggs in one basket with you and me. I think he wants to spread it out. But in my case, like starting a new podcast is a big deal, let alone two. I, well, it is a big deal. And I think... Um, I think, are you worried at all about being overexposed that maybe, I am. maybe that four is too many? Well, I am, I am. But the thing is that from inside my internal life, I do not find it taxing to do four podcasts. Sure. Um, somewhat because the format, because doing a podcast with you and and also with Merlin is just talking to my friends mm-hmm. which isn't difficult. I don't mind talking. And and the um and the way that we talk, you know, it keeps your mind flexible. Mm-hmm. For an hour and a half a day you meet with your friend over coffee and you talk. That's not I don't like do any preparation and I don't do any post production. Right. You just show up Talk, and then you're out of there. Right, which is not hard for me. If I was, if I uh, taught at the local university, if I taught, you know, semiotics, mm-hmm. which I would never ever do, uh, I would be talking for more than an hour and a half about uh, the world of ideas every single day, and I'd have to go back to my office and read semiotics texts which I do not want to do. Right. I mean, I would love to be teaching Plato every day for three hours. That would be super fun. Like it's, and I feel like talking to you guys is even easier than that. Do you feel qualified uh, to, to speak about Plato for that length of time? I could teach classes on Plato. I mean, the thing is that it's not the the thing that is funny about teaching classes uh, about, about things is there are people that are experts like PhDs uh, about a certain slice of Plato 
you know, because to get a PhD in something is not to become the general expert in every aspect of a thing. It is to focus ever more narrowly on an idea. You know, your thesis is like, it's never a general survey of a thing. It's always like, my thesis is Plato's Republic is, uh, is a metaphor for, uh, the, you know, the way that the Los Angeles water, uh, department builds, I don't know, levees. Okay. That's, that would be a terrible thesis. It's a bad example. I've never written a PhD thesis, so I don't even know what they are. Right. Me neither. When I, when I read the description of them, I'm always like, wow, you're doing it. You're doing your PhD thesis on Martha Washington's underpants. Like that's phenomenal that you could find that much to say about it, but they never are like, the life and times of George Washington. And so to teach a class, an effective class to undergraduates on Plato is not to be, uh, it is the, the knowledge that you would, that, that your students would benefit from is a general encompassing knowledge of Plato and how his works fit in to the Western tradition, which is, not antithetical to being a PhD, but like certainly the skill sets of knowing the one thing and the other thing are different. PhDs are research people. Mm -hmm. They're out there. And the thing is, all you have to do to know Plato is read him. That's all we have about him. It doesn't matter. You don't have to know what he had for breakfast. Like there's a finite number of texts. And if you read them, he, it's very conversational writing. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is read them and understand them and, and know about how they fit into the larger project. Right. That's all you have to do. So I would, I mean, I could teach a class now, but if you gave me a month to prepare, I'd teach a hell of a class. I'd, sure. teach, a, I'd teach 15 classes, but I don't want to because it means that I would have to work at a university and it would mean that I'd have to get a PhD to even be considered qualified to do it. And, uh, uh, that's just not how my life turned out. No, I understand. I kind of do. I kind of do want to. I wish I could go back in time. And no, I don't. I don't want to have done that. I knew a lot of ple- people that had advanced degrees in the classics, and they are weirdos. It's the same. It's the same thing of, as. Have you ever been to a sex therapist? No. Have you ever met a sex therapist? Not to my knowledge. Therapists that focus on sex and sexual health are all perverts. They are not perverts, but they are weird. They're weirdos. Um, because it's just like, it almost goes without saying that if that's where you go, if you're like, I want to talk to people about sexual health and I want to be, I want to engage with people about in their sex lives. I mean, it, when you're 20 years old and you're picking a career for yourself, most 20, 20 year olds do not have that as their like dream job. Right. Sure. Unless they're already thinking about stuff in a different way than, than like your average person. Yes. It's not like being a surgeon where you're like, I want to do the most difficult thing. I'm a smarty pants. I want to do the most difficult thing. That's, 80% of the surgeons are just people that want to do the most difficult thing. 
who want to show everybody that they can kick their ass. But sex therapists, they don't want to kick your ass. No. They, well, want, they, to they want to do something they, to your ass. They though. want to touch your ass right. is what they want. Yeah. So, so people that have advanced degrees in the classics, also weird. If you're 20 years old and what you want to do is touch Plato's ass, <laughs> you <laughs> are, you are, there's something going on with you. So this fourth show. Yeah. Is it about sex therapy? No. Quite the opposite. Hmm. The fourth show, even its description. Can you uh, announce it? Can you reveal oh, what absolutely. it is? Okay. Absolutely. I'm leading up to it. The fourth show, even by its description, is almost the strongest anti-aphrodisiac you could imagine. Okay. It's like pouring saltpeter into your soup. About JFK. <laughs> or in this sense, you know, it's like it is, it is sex repellent. And it is a show, it's a show uh, with my two friends, actually two guys I introduced to one another, mm. who went on, these two nerds went on to start their own podcast called The Greatest Generation, which is about Star Trek. Oh, yeah. And they started it because there were other Star Trek podcasts and they were like, we want to do one. And they started it and it became very successful. Mm. And these two guys have no broadcasting history at all. They were both filmmakers. They were behind the scenes guys. Right. They were fans. They know all the podcasters. They would come to these things just as fans. And then they started this dumb thing about this dumb show. And it was enormously popular. Because what they did was they would watch an episode of Greatest Generation of Star Trek Next Generation. Right. And then they would talk about it. And there are a lot of people that like that show. And, and people want to hear these two goons yes i know that show i've uh, put it into our show notes that people can go and look at greatest gen so i introduced those guys they're both friends of mine you know they're an example each fellow in his own way adam pranica and ben harrison uh were both people that i initially met by virtue of like adam was an early fan of the long winters and a and a strong fan like a like I'll even go out on a limb and say super fan. Oh, wow. Really loved the band and he would come to the shows and he was very supportive. But when you're a musician and you are interacting with your super fans, which is, you know, a solid group of people that you get to know personally, there is a, there is a cultural divide. They are your fans, not your friends. Even when you know them as friends. Adam is the rare individual that through both persistence and the fact that he is a lovely person penetrated the, the fourth wall and became an actual friend of mine over many years, right? It, many years I, I was like, I made him suffer. I was like, uh, Hey Adam, hold this, will you? You know, like hold, hold this salami while I go, uh, while I go talk to this girl. But now he's a genuine friend. And Ben Harrison also was sort of like he was the AV guy at a, at Engadget, and I would go do their shows, and I'd be like, "Hey, kid with the baseball hat, you're shining your light in my eyes." <laughs> uh, but then over time, I've grown to really, really adore him. And then you anyway, introduced the two of them, and I introduced the two of them because I was like, "Both of you guys are tools. You're probably going to have a lot to say to each other." There you go. I don't want to be in the room. So do you sort of, I mean, quietly take credit for? Um for their success and the success no. of that show? 
No, I think doing a podcast about Star Trek is humiliating. Oh. I don't want anything to do with it. Okay. I think it should be a, a gross embarrassment to those two. And I, and, and, and I, and I think it is. But I was going to say it very well may be. They've become very popular and successful, and I think they have a great time doing it. But they should be ashamed of themselves. But so they came to me and they were like, let's do a podcast. This is a long time ago. And you know, people say stuff like that. Let's start a band. You know, let's whatever. Let's move to Hawaii together. And my first answer to that stuff is always, sure. Because I know that most things die on the vine. So somebody comes to me and says, let's move to Hawaii together. And I say, yeah, sure. It doesn't hurt to say sure. Well, it I does if, they, if that sets up an expectation. Ah, what do I care about other people's expectations? I mean, you know, there are a lot of people out there that practice the opposite of that, which is like, no, I don't think so. But who knows? How do they know? How would I know if maybe moving to Hawaii with this person didn't end up being exactly what I needed or wanted to do? Like, there's no way to know. And usually what happens is the person goes, great. And then they set a clockwork in motion. And somewhere along the line, through no fault of my own, the thing breaks down. The person goes, oh, I, it turns out I don't even like you. Or I don't want to move to Hawaii. Or I can't move to Hawaii. Or I'm getting married or whatever. And so my sure it didn't cost me anything and we got to explore the possibility for a while and then it grounds out on its own. It's only the rare occasion where I say sure to something and it proceeds all the way to the point of making a choice. All right. Where it's like, okay, well, are we doing this? And at that point, it's still fine to say, you know, I have reevaluated re over the course of nine months of talking about this, and now I don't think I can move to Hawaii. And most, 99% of the people recognize that that's how it goes. The 1% of people that are crazy, they're like, two years ago, you said sure when I said that I wanted to, you know, be your son-in-law. And I'm like, yeah, I did. I said, sure, then. That's not a binding contract. Like, those people are just crazy, and I don't I, – it's not like I sit around and worry about them. But every once in a while, I say sure to something, and it goes all the way to being a thing. Right. I mean, that's the which, risk of saying yes is that sometimes you have to do the thing that you just agreed to. Right, which is a thing I hate to do when someone says, will you play the opening of our new – art museum. Right. And I say, sure. And then it turns out the art museum opens and I have to play the opening of it. And I don't, could want you, to. could you say, Oh, maybe, or we'll see, or something like that instead of yeah. just saying yes. Nah, because that's just mealy mouthed. I mean, you know, like Tom Chaplin of uh, keen contacted me this spring and he was like, let's write a song together for my Christmas album. And I said, yeah, Sure. But then I didn't, and he wasn't going to chase me about it, mm. right? He's not like... It seems like you're count, kind of counting on that. Like, you're counting on the fact of, like, if you can say yes to whatever you want, and then if you, if, if you just don't follow up with the person, 
and they don't actively really chase you, then you're kind of, you slip out, you're out. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I wish I had written a song for Tom's Christmas album, not because it would be enormously profitable, but just because I like him and I like the idea of co-writing songs and I like... Why didn't you do it? Well, because it's a Christmas album and it's hard to write Christmas songs. And he was like, we'll do like a like a Christmas in New York type of thing. <laughs> That's a thing. Except, uh, except where we're talking about like the difference between American Christmas and English Christmas. And I was like, awesome. And then I sat with a pencil and a pad and I was like, oh, Christmas time in America is very commercial. It was just like, I don't know what to say about it. I don't <laughs> Christmas. I don't care. And he doesn't either. And he's not looking for a funny song. I don't think he was looking for one that, you know, keen, like their music is fairly earnest, even though even and it's the rare or it's not rare. It's fairly common, I think, that like my music's pretty earnest, but I'm not especially earnest person. And uh, and Tom is a hilarious, sarcastic uh, nut, but the the music of Keen is very earnest. It's not sardonic, really. But that was an example of one where I was like, sure, and it just it just didn't pan out. But these guys were like they are people who get things done. So they were like, well, let's do it. And I said, okay, let's do it. But it took us a year to get it up and going. And now it's going, but also Omnibus with Ken Jennings is going and Omnibus is about to come out. It's going to come out on the How Stuff Works network. It's going to get a big ta-da. But my other podcast with Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica is also ready to come out on the Maximum Fun Network. Yeah. And I'm I'm really worried that people are going to go, ugh. Now John is sitting on top of Old Smokey, covered with cheese. And there's just not enough time in the day to listen to all this stuff. And I don't want to, you know, I don't, it's not that I don't want to become Dan Benjamin because I do. No, that's, I, I mean, that's obvious. I'd like to be a tall Dan Benjamin. Yes, trust me. A you tall do. Dan Benjamin that wasn't worried about lights in his neighborhood and didn't like go to the doctor four times a week. Yeah, that's only occasionally. I would like, it seems like, it seems like a couple of times a week. How often do you go to the doctor? At least twice a week. No, maybe once a month. But it's Come not, on. it's not a doctor like I'm having a hypochondriac, um, having are a hypochondriac sure? thing no it this is for sure? my sports therapy doctor i see are you sure you don't go to the doctor because you're a hypochondriac very very sure this is for a long-running like preventative back issue thing that i go oh to. well i know that that one is. that's the doctor you, that's who i go don't to you also go to the doctor sometimes just because you're having a no i hate hypochondriac doctors episode? absolutely not i hate doctors I, I don't think I've gone to a doctor for myself in the last five years. Oh, other than not for your, you're doing it for other people. Yeah. You I'm know, like my kids, you know, they smash a finger in a door or something. I did actually, I, t- I take that back. I did smash a finger in the door. Um, well, and, and I had to, kind of and I had to go and they poked the holes with the, they put the needle in and poke the holes and drain the blood out. So I had yeah. to do that. I couldn't do that. I mean, I'm supposed if I was on an island, I would have done that on my own. But, and then I went and I had, um, it related to, uh, 
lifting, I pull, hurt my shoulder and I had a like a separation of there's a thing that happens on your shoulder and they did an x-ray on it. But I mean, like, I'm not going because I'm concerned that it's cancer, you know, like that. Right, I right, just right. I have other ways of dealing with that now. Well, when you are concerned something is cancer, what do you do? Uh, now, just try to think about other things and, uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. you know. And right, entertain my children under your, under your own tongue. No, because it's the saliva dissolves it too quickly. Yeah. Oh right, right. On a golem, it's just clay. It's so clay, it and it's, it holds it in situ. We would like to say thank you very much to Away. We've talked about Away before, and uh, I love these guys. They're just awesome. They make the perfect luggage. That's it. That's what they do. Their approach is simple. They create special objects that are designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way that we travel today. And it was inspired by true travel stories. They asked thousands of people, how do you pack? When you know, Why are you traveling? What bugs you most about your existing luggage and other luggage that you've tried? And then they designed a bag that solved a few old problems like wheels getting stuck and a few new ones like dead cell phones. Because how do they do it? They get a charger built right in to the away luggage. So you can charge your phone, you can charge your iPad, you can charge whatever you want right from the built-in charger. And this is what I, this is, this is my go-to bag now. And I'm a big, I, I believe strongly in the one bag theory and in doing a carry-on bag. I never check luggage anymore. And their carry-on, it's the perfect size so it always fits in the overhead compartment. It's perfect. It's got the four wheels that are spinners. So when you're standing in line, moving through the slow security checkout, you don't have to like angle it back and drag it behind you. I mean, you can pull it behind you if you want, but you can also keep it upright. It's a spinner. So it just stays like that. They've got a special compartments with the zippers in them and the little elastic, th- uh, the little things that let you compress it. And when you pull it down, like they've really thought of every single thing, every single thing. And I'm actually going on a trip soon. I, uh, one of those people who like, I start packing way in advance. I've already started packing for this, but I love it. It's like everything fits and it fits perfectly. They've got super high quality materials. I don't know how they do it at a much lower price than other places. Maybe they have no middleman. They sell direct, but uh, the materials are as high quality as I've ever seen on anything. They've got tons of colors, uh, tons of sizes. They've got five different sizes. The carry-on, which is the one I use, the bigger carry-on, the medium, and the large, which is like extended stays. And they even have a kid's carry-on for the little the little travelers. Uh, but it's great. I mean, it is made with this German polycarbonate, very lightweight. It bends. It never breaks. They've got that compression system uh, for people like me who just want to snug everything down. It's a TSA-approved combination lock built into it, so you don't need to have your own lock. And if the TSA wants to get retentive and look, they can do that. And it even has a removable, washable laundry bag so that when you wear that shirt, you don't have to worry about, wait, which was clean and which was not clean. You just put it in the bag. Done. Done. And both sizes of the carry-on can charge cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything else you got. Uh, it's great. I mean, it really, this is, this is the way to go. And this is the crazy part. They let you use it for a hundred days. They actually say, take it, go travel with it, use it. And if at any point you think, uh, you know what? I don't like it. No problem. Full refund. No questions asked. So go check this out. They're giving $20 off a suitcase, 20 bucks off at awaytravel.com slash roadwork. Again, awaytravel.com 
slash roadwork and use the promo code roadwork, one word, when you check out and you'll get 20 bucks off. Thanks very much to Away for making this show possible. But you've got, so you've got a new show coming out. It's, what is it going to be about? It's not Star Trek, obviously. No, I wouldn't know the first thing about it. Although that's not true. I know about, I know about that show. I'm even friends with the guy that's on that show. I know a lot about that show, but I don't want to talk about it. Uh, no, the new podcast is called Friendly Fire. And the three of us watch old war movies. Oh, I love this. I love this. And those two guys are used to talking about TV shows because, or shows because they're filmmakers and they have this whole show where they talk about uh, Greatest Generation X or whatever the TV show is about Star Trek. But war movies, oh, this is my bread and butter, right? And so we talk about the films. They talk about them as films, primarily. And I talk about them as like how they, how well or poorly they describe war. And in particular, this, whatever war they're about. And then, you know, and I'm not like historical continuity guy where I'm like, that's the, those are the wrong buttons on that uniform, but I'm definitely mad when an A6 Texan is repainted as a Japanese zero. Although I understand how you have to do it sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I, but I also, you know, in addition to the war stuff. So will you, how, so how does this work? You say this one is about such and such a movie and then I go watch the movie and then I listen to you guys talk about it or do I watch it and you talk about it as it's going like a mystery science theater kind of a deal? No, we don't do that. It's okay. like, okay, this next movie we're going to watch is, you know, the movie Midway and if you want to watch a war movie a week, go watch Midway. And then we're going to talk about Midway and you'll either agree with us or dis- disagree with us. But that's the thing about podcasts. We can't hear you. Right. Um, but will, you be, will you be doing Das Boot? Yes, we will do Das Boot. All but right. we, we pick movies at random from a large list of movies that oh. we of war movies. So every week it's like we kind of draw out of a hat. And we go, okay, it's, you know, we're going to do Red Dawn, which is not what you would call a war movie per se. But so it oh, is they not. don't have to be old war movies, just any no. war movie. Any war movie. Ah, oh, see, I'm, I'm getting sold on this. I'm really yeah. getting sold on it. You know, it could be Three Kings, it, but it can't be like a documentary. We're not doing Restrepo. Now, what what is your definition of a, of a war movie? Does it have to be armies fighting or can it be something that's sort of like a metaphorical war. Like, could you do that? Could you do the 10 commandments? Because you could say that's, there's an, you know, right. Can you stretch uh, to that or no? The Egyptians are, are uh, at war with the, with the Hebrews. Right. Um, we argue about that a lot on the show, uh, because for instance, is Braveheart a war movie? I I would say it is. Absolutely. It is. Is Rambo. First one blood. one man is at war. Yes, I'd yeah. say it's a war movie. He's at war with himself. He's at war with his country, but he's also like an army guy who's like shooting cops with his gun. Um, so, but you know, you can't just do any any movie about like like falling down isn't a war movie. It's just about a dingling, right? 
So you have to, we, we, we have picked a path because when we started, when we imagined the show, it was like, oh, we're just going to do McHale's Navy. We're going to do all these weird black and white movies about World War II. But the problem is they're all about World War II. The podcast could just be called World War II movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we didn't want to do that because all those movies are basically the same. Don Rickles always appears at some point. <laughs> Uh, you know, <laughs> there's always a, there's always like a by the book guy, yeah. and a guy that, that marches to the beat of his own drummer, the Germans or, and, or Japanese are always sort of faceless enemy. Um, we wanted to do other things, right? We wanted to do apocalypse now and so forth. So we expanded the purview of the show, but we also have to rein it in to make it a show. Anyway, it's really fun. And one of the things, you know, one Could of the other things. Could you do a comedy? That, Could you do like uh, Down Periscope? Sure, sure. Okay. Or the original MASH. I mm-hmm. mean, we all this stuff, uh, Catch-22. But um, but the other thing I like to do, right, like another thing that I am in service of the podcast, is another way, is that I like to also examine the cultural context of the time that the movie was made. Right. So like Force 10 from Navarone is a World War II movie, but it was made in the late 70s. And so the culture, you know, the, the culture puts that movie in a different context. You can't just look at it as a, as a movie about the 40s because it's also always going to be a movie about the 70s. And that's true of every picture, but also especially true of, of war movies And, um, you know, and I bring a lot of that kind of thinking, I guess, to it, you know, where it's like, oh, this is a war movie made during the McCarthy era. So you're going to see like a very different idea of World War II. Like when Ben Affleck makes a World War II movie, the problem with it is that none of those people know anything about World War II. Right. They're just making a big movie with with a big sweeping violin score. And they've seen the, you know, they've seen the highlight reel of it. So they're like, this seems like a good setting for a romance. (laughs) And there are plenty of World War II movies that are made that way back in the old days. Anyway, so here's this show that we're, that, that we're, uh, you know, like gearing up and I'm like, this is, this show is nothing like, uh, roadwork or Roderick on the line. Also, Nothing like Omnibus. And Omnibus is Ken Jennings and I talking about the, you know, really doing deep dives on the sort of esoterica that we each know, which is different esoterica. There's quite a bit of overlap, but, you know, he knows things or he's interested in things that I don't know and I'm interested in things that he doesn't know. But we each have enough knowledge of general things that if he says, I'm going to talk about um, tesseracts, right? Like I can get in there. I know the, I know the world around tesseracts. I can ask salient questions. I can participate, right? I can be a foil to his knowledge. Well, so none of these things are anywhere. They're not the same. And I don't think they will take, they don't, they don't take away from each other because it's not, it, there's no, um, it's not like if Mark Marin was doing five podcasts and he was just interviewing f- five different comedians a week. 
there, it's all it's all different. It's all like it's like a very very different space. I don't. I mean, I think there's going to be some audience overlap. Sure, but I don't know. I I don't know that that's going to be a limiting factor for you. And I don't think it's going to be personally limiting. Limiting. I'm just worried that there's going to be a little bit of eye rolling, especially if I release two new podcasts like in the same. Mm, I don't two month period. I wouldn't worry about that. I wouldn't worry about that. Okay. Okay. That's not, that's not something I think you need to be concerned about is that, Oh, I came out with two. No, I think the fact that you're doing two is going to be more or doing four total. That's going to be more the topic of discussion than, Oh, he came out with two new ones in the same time period. I don't think so at all. If anything, that would say he's all in, like you were saying, he's all in with, uh, with podcasting now. He's all in. He's taking it seriously. And uh, he's, he's making a, a real go of it. My, my concern is just because uh, I know that you are a man of leisure. Yeah. And I'm concerned that you'll be able to keep up with the kind of demanding schedule that a four hour a week commitment might become. Well, you know, a lot of these shows actually or are longer, an hour, eight hour, hour right. and a half, right? Eight hour commitment. Two hours a day. But I feel like it does seem like a lot. But then when I look at the world and the way it's run, I think, wait a minute, people work more than two hours a day. Some. Every day. Mm-hmm. Um, they tote that barge, they lift that bale, they get a little drunk, they land in jail. Um, and a lot of jobs, I think a lot of, I think the listeners who are listening to this program that have jobs, which I'm going to guess is not a small portion of our listenership, I bet they would agree with me when I say that they're only doing really two hours of work every day. Hmm. Right, they get in there, they pour a cup of coffee, they sit, they tinker, they work on a thing. I don't think so. They work around, they do some work, they get up, they go get another cup of coffee, they talk to the coworkers about the about the Walking Dead around the water cooler. It's been a you while think, since you've worked in an office, hasn't it? It has been. Well, let's call it twenty years. Yeah, I think I don't think things are quite the way that they were back then. I think there's a. Things have changed a little bit. And I, I, I know what you mean, though. There is a lot of distraction in an office. There are a lot of a lot of things that aren't real work that you wind up doing in there. But there, I, I would think that a large portion of our listeners maybe do more than two hours of work a day. But I understand what you're saying. I understand where you're, you're going. You're saying that two hours a day seems like an, a reasonable amount of time for you to spend on doing something. We would like to say thank you to Eero. I love Eero. These guys are awesome, and they actually saved a really big problem for me. Let me first tell you what they are. They're Wi-Fi of the future. This is the Wi-Fi that you've always wished that you had. Fast, reliable connection in every single room, and the backyard too, for that matter. They've been working on this since 2016 and making it better every single day. The more users they get, the more feedback they get, the better that they make it. And this new second-generation Eero is amazing. Uh, they have these little things called beacons. And so you've got the base station that plugs into your your cable modem or your, or your DSL or your, you know, whatever you have, whatever kind of internet connection you have coming in. And a little base station plugs into that. 
And then you put these beacons around your house. And there's an app on your phone that you walk through your house and it says, oh, you need to put one here. So what you wind up doing is putting in a couple of these little beacons. And by the way, the beacons are really small. They just plug into an electrical outlet, no wires or anything like that. And they have little built-in nightlights in them, which is really cool. Anyway, you and yes, you can turn it off. You can control them. It's very cool and on the app. And then you have a blanket of Wi-Fi over your whole house. No more dead zones, no more trouble areas. Well, here's the thing. My boy had his computer up in his room. And for whatever room, reason, his room was like a, like a dead zone. And we could never get a decent signal in there. And we couldn't figure out why. I put the Eero in. Now he's getting the same fast download speeds up in his room that we were getting everywhere else in the whole house. And he's super happy about that. And that's the kind of thing. Eero is so easy to use. I don't, you, know, you don't even have to understand anything about Wi-Fi. It does it all for you. It updates in the background in the middle of the night. They've got these awesome tri-band radios built in there. The little base station sits there and just plugs in with a power adapter and everything else just plugs right into the wall. It's so easy to do it. Uh, I, I mean, what can you say? This is the best thing. That single router model, the old school model of just having one thing sitting in one room, that's the past. You move into the future. Enterprise-grade Wi-Fi, of course, they've got all the security in there, built into it, WPA2 encryption, I mean, you name it. And they have great customer support. It's something they've really invested in. And if you have trouble, you can call them and you get a Wi-Fi expert within 30 seconds. There's nothing you need to worry about. Couldn't be easier. They've got a special deal for our listeners. Free overnight shipping in the U.S. and Canada. Eero.com, E-E-R-O, Eero.com. Go there. And enter the promo code ROADWORK and you'll get free overnight shipping. Now you gotta pick when you're checking out, you gotta you gotta pick overnight shipping. And it'll say, Oh, it's gonna cost you this much. Don't worry about that. Put in the code ROADWORK, it'll make it free. Trust me, try these things out. You're going to love Eero. Eero.com promo code ROADWORK gets you free overnight shipping to the US and Canada. Thanks, Eero. Right. Like I agree that probably two hours of work seems like a, like it's probably less than average. I would say definitely less than average. But, but I'm guessing that a lot of being at work is just being trapped at work. It's kind of like being at school. Like you're at work the whole time you're at school, but you're not like really working that whole time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of goofing around. And, you know, how many times in a day does everybody check their email? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, a lot of that email is work-related, too. Work-related. Or work-specific. Work-specific. Well, that's a key phrase, work-related. Because meetings are work-related, but you sit in there for for two hours. You're trapped there. Yeah. Hour. But are you working or are you just listening to people, blah, 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 looking at PowerPoint demonstrations where – the words on the screen are the same words that are being spoken aloud. The person who's giving the meeting is just reading the screen. Like you could just take a single page and just go read it. You don't need to be in this room. Hear this person read it to you. That's bananas. Yeah. But that's the, you know, but that you'd walk out of that meeting. And if somebody said, were you at work that whole time? You'd be like, yeah, I'm at work. But it's not, you're not working with your mind. Working with your mind, I guess, is what I mean. Yeah. Solving problems. Now, maybe coders. The thing is, coders are often just doing busy work. I mean, not busy work, but it's like, oh, I have to get from here to there in this code. And I know what I have to do. I I just have to get there. You know, you're filling in the blanks, kind of. Blanks that are in your mind. 
Is that, am I describing coding? Yeah. Sure. Yes, exactly. You're not, you're not solving problems the entire time. You're like, if A, go to B, if B, go to C. That's exactly what it is. Yep. (laughs) If B, if B intersects C coming through the rye, then go to D. That's right. That's it. It's like a. (laughs) I know Fortran. I know how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, I would, I've never really thought of it that way, but I would say writing code is very much like being J.D. Salinger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's the same. It's pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, think, uh, I think this is a good, I think this is a good thing for you. I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's positive too. I just sort of, you know, I'm, I, I, uh, I feel like it gets back you back into the the stream, you know, like in that, like it'll get get you going. Islands in the stream. Yes. This is what we are. Yes, we are islands in the stream. Yeah, I. It's very engaging for me to be interacting with a with an an audience. And I realized something, which is that when I was a kid, I didn't imagine being a rock star. Certainly, it didn't occur to me to honestly be a musician until I was in my 20s. Um, I didn't sit at 14 years old and practice the guitar six hours a day, like not at all. I practiced the tennis racket more than I practiced the guitar. And I mean the tennis racket as a guitar, although I probably practiced playing tennis more than I practiced playing the guitar because I was pretty good at tennis. But what I wanted to be, I didn't really want to be a journalist because being a journalist had too much responsibility uh, in, uh, uh, in terms of like finding the actual truth rather than just writing your opinion about it. I wanted to be a kind I, – I, I, even as a kid, I wanted to be a pundit because a pundit is a great job. You get to know all about stuff and and – be listening and like patiently listening to people. You, you get to have a, you should, I think have empathy for other people's positions, but then you get to express your own opinion about stuff and you're in the media, you're a performer, but you don't have to put on spangles. You don't have to dance. Mm -hmm. And, but I was, and and you're not a talk show host where you kind of sit behind a desk and you have to feign interest in like actors. Like I cannot feign interest in actors for very long mm. because actors are not themselves interesting. It's the parts they play that are that are more interesting, right? Yeah, actors, actors are. We put them on a pedestal, but that's we sh- maybe shouldn't be doing that. Oh, who knows? Who cares? I mean, you know, we got to put somebody on a pedestal. Hmm. But like Philip Seymour Hoffman, I really enjoyed his acting. Mm -hmm. I never really saw an interview with him where I thought I'd like to be friends with him. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even am I learning anything from this? You know, am I learning anything from listening to David Letterman talk to Chevy Chase? Not really. I just like looking at him. (laughs) I like hearing Bill Bill Murray's voice. But I also like hearing Harvey Pekar's voice. Mm-hmm. Anyway, somehow I don't. I never knew how to become a pundit. How do you become George Will or 
William F. Buckley. I mean, it seemed like the number one um, prerequisite of those two guys was that you be an asshole first. You be born a rich asshole. I wanted to be Dave Barry like everybody of my generation. But you don't just get to be Doug, Dave Barry. You can't just be Douglas Adams. Like those guys are, I don't know, they're, they, they are themselves. They're like Stephen King. I'm not just naming people that are in that one weird band. But somehow I feel like I'm tumbling into finally being a pundit, which is a thing I wanted to be since I was 10. 